0: I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey people, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90-min football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition, coming to you live on Sunday night, we're going to be looking back on what was a really, really disappointing afternoon for the Gunners over in East London. There are very, very few things that a Greek man is willing to put ahead of his Easter barbecue. Arsenal is one of them for me and I put Arsenal ahead of enjoying my Easter feast with the family today and I'm disappointed and I wish I didn't do it now. I wish I stayed at home, watched it on the TV and uh, and then was able to just kind of switch off from it uh, as soon as the final whistle blew, get on with my Easter celebrations and um, and revisit it later. But that wasn't the case. I was at the London Stadium today covering the game. And to say I'm bitterly disappointed by the outcome, I think would be a bit of an understatement at this point, at this stage. Before I dive in any further, uh, happy Easter to those that are celebrating this weekend. If you're wondering why I'm saying it a week late, Orthodox Christians celebrate Easter um, at a different time. The reasons for that are complex, complicated. Google it. I'm not going to sit here and give you a religious lesson, um, but Christos anesti to all my fellow Greeks and uh, to every body else uh, who is an Orthodox Christian. Um, wishing you guys a happy Easter as well. But anyway, let's get into the football which is what we're actually here to talk about. Let me say a few uh, hellos before I do that. Give me a few more seconds to just compose myself. A big hello to uh, Baskar, to Clock Seb Jr., Gunner Ritchie, uh, Sweet Munchkin, Wesbird, uh, Gunner Deja Vu is with us. Cypress Without Borders is with us. Nav, uh, Luke, uh, who else have we got? Callum, Mark, Ray Ray, uh, Mafia Boss uh, is with us as well. Um, Look, When we got to to London Stadium this afternoon, I must admit, I was feeling quite confident. This is an Arsenal side that, you know, have only dropped a handful of points so far this season. Have managed to surpass expectations throughout the campaign. Have gone to some really, really difficult places and won. Have put right some wrongs of, of recent seasons and have shown everybody that actually... They're a lot further along the progression line than maybe people gave them credit for at the start of the season. What I'm really struggling with is people saying, oh, look, look at Arsenal, bottle jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Bottling something means that you are expected to do it and achieve it in the first place. And listen, there's a long old way to go in this title race. It is by no stretch of the imagination over. So please don't take me the wrong way. But how can you bottle something that nobody expected you to achieve in the first place? It's impossible what you can do is either overachieve or not. And Arsenal, throughout the duration of the season, have overachieved. There's no getting away from that. There's no doubt about it. There is not a single person that would have said at the start of this campaign with chest that Arsenal are going to go on and win this Premier League or that Arsenal are even capable of pushing Manchester City until the very late stages of the season. Yet here we are. And although... Today feels like a big hammer blow, and although there is a lot of disappointment flying around the Arsenal Twitter sphere, and you know I've seen it in WhatsApp groups that I'm in, I've had conversations with mates, and uh, and all of that stuff. You know, I, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling downbeat. I'm feeling like I've been kicked in the stomach, and and in particular when I was leaving the stadium earlier today, I felt really low. But has an awful lot changed? Of course, it's changed and the situation isn't as good and as positive for us as it was 24 hours ago. But we've still got a four-point lead over Manchester City. And we're just going to have to go to Manchester City and get a result and then match them the rest of the way. And that's assuming that they win every single game outside of their clash with us. If you want to win the league, then you've got to get through these periods and you've got to go on and take points when it matters most. Unfortunately, Arsenal weren't able to do that. And had we had we managed to get all three points today, then we'd be, have been in a much better position. Obviously, we might have been in a position where we could afford to drop points in another game if we were able to draw at the Etihad. I get all of that. But because of the goal difference factor as well, I think we would have needed to go and get a point there regardless of whether we won today or not. So I'm trying to look at it glass half full rather than glass half empty i know that will irritate some people i know some people don't want to hear it i know there are some people that want to sit there and really dissect this and and really sort of come down hard on, on maybe the players responsible some of you on social media have been very critical of how mikel arteta managed the game we'll get onto all of that stuff in this edition of the podcast don't you worry but just coming back to the reaction to what was obviously a, a really poor second half performance especially and a subsequent disappointing result there are two groups of people in the Arsenal fan base you've got the people that like to look at it the glass half full and they get accused of being toxically positive if that's even a thing I've been called that before as well and then there are others who, when they express a bit of disappointment and a bit of frustration, they get labeled as negative. Some people like to look at things glass half full. Some people look at things glass half empty. And neither one of those two groups will admit that actually that is what they're doing. They'll always say to you that I'm trying to look at it pragmatically. So if I'm being positive, which I think I'm erring on the side of, I'm not going to say to you I'm being overly positive because I think that makes me a better fan. I might be being overly positive because that's partly what I feel I should do as an Arsenal fan. But in my mind, my justification for being positive is that we are still top of the league. We have a four point lead. We're way above the level that anybody thought we were going to be at at the start of the campaign. And this is not over yet. I will tell you that it's me being pragmatic and, and me being realistic Just like those people that are being negative this evening that are saying it's completely done and dusted. Now Manchester City are going to go on and win it will tell you that they're being realistic. The truth is that some of us are glass half full, some of us are glass half empty, and that's just the way it goes. But what we all need to do is come together and get behind the team and support the team in the games that remain because there's still a lot of football to be played. A lot can change. You know, this league throws up surprises all the time. All the time. So it's not a given that we're going to win all our games. It's not a given that we're going to drop points at Newcastle and at Manchester City, just like it's not a given that Manchester City are going to win every single game. There are still, I believe, more twists and turns to come in this title race. And so that's why I urge you not to overreact here, not to lose your minds. Let's break down exactly what happened at the London Stadium. Before we go into the specifics of today's game and we try to Make sense of what happened. Please, uh, if you haven't done so already, could you leave a like uh, on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're brand new and you're following us via YouTube? If you're listening on the audio platforms, uh, well then please do leave us a review there as well. That really, really does help. So we arrive at London Stadium this afternoon um, and we hear the news that Alexander Zinchenko is unavailable due to an injury concern. Uh, The club uh, said it was a precaution to leave him out of the team, to leave him out of the squad. Uh, And so he was unavailable today, which allowed Kieran Tierney to get a start in the Premier League. And I must admit, when I heard this news, I did for a second think, oh shit, are we going to be okay without Zinchenko? Because I think our best performances this season have come with Zinchenko, playing in that position, going into midfield alongside Thomas Partey and dominating and controlling football matches for us. But then I thought back to what happened at Anfield last week and I thought, well, Zinchenko just got caught out a little bit defensively, didn't he? And not for the first time this season. We all know that as superb and as brilliant as he is in possession, he does just lack a little bit when it comes to, you know, his sort of defensive awareness and defensive understanding. So I wasn't massively fussed about the idea of Tini playing today. And I thought like everybody else in Arsenal colours today, He started the game really well, but it didn't last, unfortunately. So the game begins uh, and the Gunners, um, you know, are wanting to start fast, wanting to replicate the kind of performance that they showed in the early stages uh, up at Liverpool last weekend. Only if we could get our noses in front this time, you'd think uh, we'd be, um, you know, we'd have learned our lessons and you would thought that we'd have, figured out how to not allow the game to run away from us in the way that the game up at Anfield did last weekend. The game, by the way, that we were fortunate probably to get away with anything from given the way that second half went. So Arsenal knocking the ball around nicely in the early stages, showing an intensity, showing a willingness to press, a willingness to close people down. And on seven minutes, the Gunners break the deadlock with what was an unbelievable move. That was a superb bit of football. I've watched that goal four or five times since I came home and and I enjoy it more and more every time I watch it. There was a wonderful fainted pass from Thomas Partey. And then when the ball eventually finds its way to Ben White, he pings it across the face of the goal. And there was Gabby Jesus to turn it in, who's been in really, really good goal scoring form of late. And there'd been a lot of talk at uh, Pree's injury about the long stretch of games that Gabriel Jesus was on without having scored a goal. You know, some were even starting to question if he's good enough. Think he brings so so much to this Arsenal forward line. And you could see it today as well in that first period. So Arsenal, Dreamland, Dream Start, you're playing a side down the bottom of the table, fighting for their lives. Confidence is low, confidence is fragile within David Moyes' camp. Lots of talk around the club about whether he'll be in charge next season. And you think if we can start well here and we can really sort of, as I always like to say, capitalize on the opponent's insecurities caused by the fact that they've had a dreadful season by their standards up until now, then that puts us in a really good com- uh, a really good position to go on and win the game. And then just a few minutes later, we get a second goal. Wonderful goal again. This time, Gabriel Martinelli on the corner of the box. He looks up. He sees Martin Odegaard at the far post. And Martin Odegaard just manages to volley it first time towards goal beats lucas fabianski arsenal are 2-0 up 10 minutes gone and you think this is only going one way and i can tell you from being inside the stadium that everybody in the ground felt it that it was only going one way everybody felt like arsenal were going to cruise to victory i don't think the possibility of what happened at anfield last week repeating itself even crossed the minds of those around me anyway. And obviously I was working on a broadcast for the game with BBC Radio London. Um, I wasn't commentating today. I was just a part of the program. Uh, But Phil Parry, who was on commentary, Bradley Allen, who was alongside him, none of them saw what had happened at Anfield repeating itself this time around. People looked around the London Stadium. The atmosphere was dead. It didn't feel like a crowd that you could fire up, that you could G up with a couple of... Uh, little scraps and comings together in the way that the Anfield crowd ignited last week. And so people thought Arsenal were cruising to the three points, myself included. And then we go and do something really, really stupid. Now, listen, Thomas Partey, I have repeatedly talked about on this show how important he is to this Arsenal team. For me, he is probably Arsenal's most important player. If you look back on the season when we've been with him, In comparison to when we've been without him, it's so, so different. Okay. He has been a revelation. You know, we know that there's rumors about him flying around. We know that that might have been a bit of a distraction. We know that he's got fitness issues that we can't seem to keep him fit throughout the duration of the season. That's been an ongoing thing from the day he joined the club. But what we've got in Thomas Partey when he is fit and when he is available is a Rolls Royce of a midfield player. But we just didn't see that today. And I'm conscious of really sort of digging in on Thomas Partey because, you know, everybody, I guess, is entitled to have an off game from time to time. And he hasn't had one in a long, long while. But today was certainly that. This was, for me, the worst Thomas Partey performance I've seen in an Arsenal shirt since he joined the club. And I mean that. I thought, without with the exception of the first 15 minutes in which he was wonderful, just like everybody else, I thought after that, after the mistake that he made, which we're going to talk about in a second, I thought he went off a cliff and I didn't think he ever recovered from that mistake at any point in today's game. Hence why I was OK with him being replaced by Jorginho. Now, you'll never under any other circumstances hear me say, I want Thomas Partey off the pitch and I want him to be replaced by Jorginho. But today was a day I thought that needed to happen. So let's talk about the goal. The goal that gave uh, West Ham a route back into the game. I think Martin Odegaard post-match said something along the lines of, they were dead and buried and we gave them something. We gave them a lifeline, a lifeline in the end that they took. And it all stemmed from this, I think, really poor piece of judgment from Thomas Partey. The balls played into him. Now Thomas Partey's is normally so good at looking over his shoulder, knowing exactly what's going on in front of him. If he's not going to be able to turn um, or or play necessarily the pass he wants, he normally is really good at putting his body in the way and drawing a foul. Um, You know, just finding some sort of way of protecting the ball. He's normally so good at using those long old arms of his to hold people off. And today, for some reason, maybe it was complacency. Maybe Arsenal did feel that things were too easy at that point. But for some reason, he looks over his shoulder, he sees... Declan Rice sprinting towards him and decides to try and flick it. I don't know if it was around him he was aiming for, over him. I don't know what on earth that was from Thomas Partey, but you give the ball away there and you're in serious trouble. And that's why Thomas Partey has been so important this season and has been so good because he's normally so press resistant. Only this time he made a really bad error in terms of his judgment, I thought his decision-making was shocking in that instance. And he puts Arsenal into serious, serious trouble. Now, Gabriel panics, as Gabriel does have a tendency to do from time to time. And he dives in and he makes a challenge. Or as soon as he launches himself into the challenge, he realizes, I'm not getting to the ball. I'm not getting there ahead of Lucas Paqueta. And so he pulls out. But it's too late it's too late you know i've when i was in the stadium and i i saw gabriel pull out of the challenge yeah believe me i saw it just about i had to squint because you're quite a long way away from the pitch at the london stadium but it did look to me at first glance as though gabriel pulled out of the challenge paqueta still hits the ground and at the time i was a little bit upset about the penalty award i have to say i have to hold my hands up but obviously Uh, In the press box, there are monitors upon which you can watch replays. And when I saw the replay, um, I thought it was clear that Gabriel attempted to pull out of the challenge, but he'd already committed. He'd already thrown himself in toward the ball. And there's a bit of contact with Lucas Paqueta that if any forward player feels he's going to go down. I don't think it was a clear and obvious error. So I don't have an issue with the VAR not intervening and that penalty decision standing. Side Ben Rama steps up, converts the penalty kick. Um, And then there's a roundabout at that point, I think, 11 or 12 minutes to go until the break. And you're just thinking Arsenal, get yourselves in at halftime, regroup, build again, go again. Now, did that ignite the London Stadium? I feel like we're the only team um, that make a massive, massive deal about stadiums igniting. You go away from home, you're going to face raucous atmospheres. That's what happens. Okay, and... You know, West Ham is one of those places, a bit similar to Emirates Stadium, of if it's going their way, they can get behind the team. And it's a big old crowd. And and you do get that bit of atmosphere. But if it's going badly, then they're quite quick to turn. And I always think of that when I go to West Ham. I always think if you can go there, start well, start strong, knock the ball around nicely. They are a club that want to see their team play a certain style of football. They're certainly not getting that from David Moyes at the moment. They're not happy with where they are in the table. They're not happy at the fact that they are in a relegation fight, et cetera, et cetera. But you think it's a place where if you go and you really impose yourself, you can really kill that crowd. But then a moment like this, a moment all of our own making, and the reason I say that, right? So I was talking to a friend after the game, and and he said something to me along the lines of, yeah, but, you know, Mikel Arteta should have seen that coming. Mikel Arteta should have, um should have realized that actually, um you know, we were, we were in a position where, you know, we might allow West Ham back into the game and he needed to take action accordingly. And I just, I just don't believe that. I, I just, don't see how you can point the finger at Mikel Arteta for the way that we allowed West Ham back into the game. He set a team up. They've gone to the London stadium. They've played some beautiful football inside the first 15 minutes and they are two goals to the good cruising, absolutely flying. Then they get to a point where maybe they take their foot off the gas a little bit, but just after the half an hour mark, a massive error of judgment by one of your most experienced players who very, very rarely puts a foot wrong allows West Ham an opportunity to get back in the game. It kind of ignites the crowd, not to Anfield levels. Let's not pretend that the atmosphere inside the London Stadium today was particularly special. It was okay at times. That's about as as far as I'll go. But you go in at 2-1, and and this is what what disappointed me about Arsenal today. You go in at 2-1, and what should happen is, in my opinion, is the lessons learned from last week whereby you went somewhere, started the game really well, the opponent didn't really have a sniff, got a goal out of nowhere that really you shouldn't have conceded. The lesson learned from last week for me was don't stop playing our game. Don't change the way we're playing, particularly against West Ham. Against Liverpool, I can understand why subconsciously, You might drop off a little bit and you might think that actually the the best thing to do is just to be that little bit more careful because you're aware of your surroundings and you're aware of the qualities that your opponent has. With all due respect to West Ham, they have been dire this season. And so there shouldn't have been an issue with Arsenal continuing to play their game and dominating the game in the way um, that they did in that first half an hour prior to uh, obviously West Ham finding a way back in. So I wanted to see Arsenal going in at the break, 2-1 up. I wanted to see them regroup. I expect Mikel Arteta to get the right message across. And I expect the team to come back out in that second half, take back control of the game, play the way that they'd been playing in the early stages, impose themselves and go and find that third goal sooner rather than later and put the game to bed. But instead, we started the second half really sloppy, I thought. I thought that West Ham looked as though they'd come out after the break with a little bit more fire in their bellies, looking to go on and find that equalising goal. And look, you can understand their motivations, look at where they are in the table, the fact that they need the points, et cetera, et cetera. But we came out in that second half and we were half-assed and it was slow and there was no cohesion in our game and the tempo had dropped dramatically. We weren't breaking lines with our passing anymore. We weren't brave in our positioning in terms of Maybe Kieran Tierney stepping into midfield and the height of our defensive line. We just seem to sit off a little bit. So instead of taking on the lessons from last week, it felt like the, the scars from last week came to the fore a little bit. And that was something I didn't expect to see. I have to be honest. I did put last week down to the fact it was at Anfield and it was against a very good Liverpool side and that we'd had bad times there in the past. But at West Ham, there's no excuse for that. Yet there it was, a lackluster start to the second half. And then we go and get a penalty kick. We go and get a penalty kick and you think at that point, you know what, we've got an opportunity here to kill any belief that this West Ham side have or have built or or mustered up from having scored that goal prior to the break. We've got a really good opportunity here. Arsenal doing their usual. I think Odegaard was holding the ball and then he gave it to Jesus or or Jesus was holding it. Odegaard was on the spot and then Bukayo Saka takes the ball and places it down and steps up to take the penalty kick. Now, let me be clear again, just like I don't want to hammer Thomas Partey for one off day, which he's entitled to have. I don't want to hammer Bukayo Saka for missing this penalty kick because and I might be wrong. I can't think of him missing a penalty since. He returned from the Euros after he missed that crucial penalty for which he copped a load of abuse. Correct me if I'm wrong. So again, I've spoken to some people this evening that have said, well, there's no way that someone like Bukayo Saka should be taking a pressure penalty in a title race at his age. Somebody more experienced like Gabi Jesus, for example, should have taken it. Why would you change the penalty taker if Bukayo Saka hasn't done anything wrong? And so I was pretty confident he was going to score. I'd have bet my house on Bukaya Saka's scoring. And that's how confident I was. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to sort of write off the first 10 minutes, eight to 10 minutes of the second half in which we were really poor, I thought. And this would kill West Ham off. And you miss it. And missing a penalty like that has multiple effects. It's not just what it does to you. It's not just... The fact that you've missed an opportunity to score another goal, which puts you back in in a commanding position in terms of the game, is what it does in terms of galvanising the opposition. Not just in terms of the, the crowd, but in terms of the players out there as well, who maybe felt when David Coote pointed to the spot that the game was getting away from them. But all of a sudden now felt that there was something to be had for them in this game. And it's no coincidence that just a couple of minutes later, West Ham go down the other end and score their second goal of the afternoon. I think, and again, you might feel that I'm being overly critical. I think Aaron Ramsdale should save that. I think it's a route one throw in into the penalty area. The clearance comes out. It's lifted back into um, into the penalty area. It falls to Jared Bowen. He's in way too much space for my liking. He's got way too much time uh, to set himself and get things right. And he gets he hits it goalwards. I don't think it's a particularly powerful strike. I don't think it's a a strike that Aaron Ramsdale should be beaten by at that point in his goal, if I'm being honest. That's my opinion. Um, So I was disappointed by that. But again, you're talking about someone who saved us so many points over the last couple of months. You know, he's been fantastic of late and there are games that we have won that we certainly wouldn't have won had Aaron Ramsdale not come to our rescue on multiple occasions but that doesn't mean that that his part in that goal should go unmentioned. I think he's got to do better there. I think an elite level goalkeeper has to save that. And and the more I watch it, the more I feel that way. He gets obviously something on it, but he doesn't get enough of a hand on it. He doesn't make enough contact with it, not enough to turn it onto the post or for it to come out or, or to go wide. So, when you break it down, the reason we lost the game today, I say we lost the game, it feels like we lost the game. The reason we dropped a couple of points today is due to a catalogue of individual errors. So you start off with the the Partey one. You can maybe argue that Gabriel shouldn't make the challenge, but he does anyway. And so if you want to add that in as an individual error, you can. Although I think that was certainly of Thomas Partey's making. So that's that. Then you look at, the penalty kick that we earn, which absolutely was a penalty kick, by the way, there was somebody around me on some broadcast of some form saying that, no, what's that Mikel Antonio supposed to do? Well, his arm is extended and Martinelli's hooked the ball towards goal. Of course, it's a bloody penalty kick. Have a day off. Um, so we get the penalty, but Saka misses it. So it's Partey, Saka. Uh, and then I think Ramsdale should save the goal. So, You're talking about Imparte, Saka and Ramsdale, three of your best players this season. Three of your highest performing individuals on the day, having a bit of a mare, having a bit of a stinker and costing you. And listen, they've earned the right to to be in this title race by performing week in, week out. There's not a footballer in the world that performs at 10 out of 10 every single week. This was going to happen. But man, for all three to happen on the same day is a bit of a bummer, isn't it? And on top of that, On top of them not performing, I think as a collective, we obviously struggled mentally, maybe based on what happened last weekend um, when it came to sort of knowing what to do with a two-goal lead. I've seen some people suggesting that Declan Rice handled the ball in the build-up to West Ham's first goal. I don't really know. Um, I can't really tell from what I've seen, to be honest with you. And um, it certainly wasn't clear and obvious error, put it that way. So I'm okay with that. Um, I'm okay with that. But it feels like pressure is getting to us. It feels like, you know, some of our biggest performers and best performers uh, have just kind of hit a bit of a brick wall in terms of, you know, their performance levels, which was going to happen at some point. And it just felt like today was a culmination of things that went badly and things that went wrong. Now, I think Mikel Arteta's copped quite a bit of slack. or quite a bit of stick, I should say, um, from quite a few Arsenal fans with regards to the thing that they always pick on him about, which is substitutions. We'll come on to those in a minute. But also in terms of game management, I heard somebody saying uh, earlier on, on a radio show, that Mikel Arteta, as I say, should have seen the first West Ham goal coming. How do you see that happening? They didn't have a sniff. Arsenal were in complete control. Complete control. It's not as though West Ham had a 15-minute spell where you were looking at them and you're going, hold on a minute, they're growing into this game. They're having joy in this particular area of the pitch or that particular area of the pitch. And as the manager, I'm seeing that and I need to address that. It came out of nowhere. And, and you know, we we got punished and and it was just one of those days. I think his substitutions were a little bit strange. I have to say that. And I've been a big staunch defender of Mikel Arteta. And I always think, well, I generally think that people make too much out of this, uh, sort of from week to week. But I thought today, those who were a little bit mystified and baffled by some of those decisions were well within their rights to be. So the only substitution that I think was right, given the circumstances was the removal of Thomas Partey, and the replacing of him with Jorginho. Now, that is mad because at no point would I ever ordinarily say I want to see Jorginho on the pitch in front of Thomas Partey. But today, Thomas Partey, barring that first 15, 20 minutes, was so bad that he needed to come off. He was giving the ball away. He didn't look sharp enough. Uh, His decision-making was all over the place. I wonder, you know, we heard rumours. I didn't see it myself, but I think Tom Canton over on the Guna Talk TV did a video recently over the last couple of days where he said Thomas Partey wasn't in training because he hadn't spotted him in one of those inside Arsenal videos on the club's website. Was Thomas Partey missing from training one day this week or a couple of days this week? So was he not quite at it physically? These are all things that we will never really know unless Mikel Arteta fronts up and tells us. And so that's why when it comes to substitutions, I I sometimes hold back on my critique of them because what can happen is a player can be feeling exhausted. A player can let the bench know, get the message across that he's not feeling well, that he's not feeling 100%. They've got those stat vests where they're studying their every move. The medical people are all over this shit. So they would know when someone is in the red And, and we as fans wouldn't. We go by the eye test. They go by much more uh, detailed uh, sort of metrics. And and so maybe that played a part. Look, Gabi Jesus, I wouldn't have taken him off personally, but I did think he faded a bit. Um, I, and, and the same can be said of Martinelli. I, I think that Martinelli is a goal threat at all times and is a player with the potential of unlocking a defence, regardless of how deep they set up, because he's just so explosive, so unpredictable at times. But again, I thought he faded as well. So I can understand why those changes were made. Maybe this was a day to take off Bukayo Saka. Maybe that was that was the time to take off Bukayo Saka. But I think there would have been a bit of Mikel Arteta that would go, well, but he's just missed the penalty. And I don't want to put that message across that I'm pissed off with him or I'm so disappointed with him that I feel he's worthy of being hooked and substituted as a result of that. And will that... Kill his confidence even more. Maybe there was a bit of that, but we got to be afraid. We we got to stop being afraid of taking off certain players when they're not performing. But Kayo Saka wasn't performing today. He took Martin Odegaard off right at the end. And I, I wondered what really the point was in that. Um we'll talk about his individual performance in a minute. I think there's a few players that we need to touch on. Uh, but yeah. I mean, how much of it is down to the manager today and how much of it is down to the players out on the pitch? I would say, based on what I've been rambling on about for the last half an hour, that 80% of this is down to the players on the pitch, players that are normally so reliable to Mikel Arteta making silly and stupid mistakes. And I don't really know how much of that I can place at his door. As I say, I think some of the changes were a bit strange and I wouldn't have made them. But I can't say with any real confidence that they made a big difference to the game. They certainly didn't have a positive impact, but did they have a negative one? We were playing pretty badly up until that point anyway. So, yeah, um, it is what it is. Look, in terms of the title race, in terms of where we're, at, where we're at at the moment, we're still four points clear of City. Obviously, they've got a game in hand. They've got to win that, though. Um, beat Southampton on Friday, and we opened that gap up to seven points. They'll have two games in hand at that point, but psychologically, that helps us. It certainly makes the table look that little bit better going into that game at Etihad Stadium. And um, listen, we just need to go there and get a point. And, and I think we needed to go there and get a point anyway, regardless, because of City's goal difference. Had we taken a couple of points uh, more today and uh, and we drew somewhere else along the line, then City making up that two points by winning their game uh, would have... M- basically been the same thing because of the fact that they have that superior goal difference to us and i only expect the gap in terms of our goal difference and theirs to get bigger and wider so i think we need to go to city like people are saying we need to win against city because we're going to draw at newcastle forget newcastle for now that's too far in the future as far as i'm concerned now it's about beating southampton if we can beat southampton then it's about turning our attention to manchester city it's a must-not-lose. It's not a must-win. It's a must-not-lose. That's how you got to look at it. Get a point there and then go into the final stretch of games knowing exactly what we have to do. It is still in our hands. We are still uh, in a good position. We are still in a strong position. And um, there's no point in, um, in getting too caught up on, on what happened today. There's no point in crying over spilt milk is what I always say. Um, have we got a bit of... Is there a bit of immaturity in the squad in terms of knowing how to shut games out and knowing when to make certain decisions? Yeah, there is because it's a young team. Is there a bit of that in the manager as well? Yeah, I think there is, and and that's okay. Mikel Arteta, as a young manager, he'd be the youngest manager to ever win the Premier League if he managed to get that um, that trophy this season. So look, there's a lot, um, there's a lot to factor in here. Ultimately, it's a disappointing result where i was most disappointed having reflected on the performance since i've come home is is what i mentioned earlier on which is for me that the worst part is that when you go in at half time i expect the players to respond to the message that Mikel arteta is putting across to them and i expect them to come out in the second half and perform to a much higher level particularly after what happened last week last week i looked at it and i went well you might have got the message across Mikel and it might have been absorbed and taken on by the players, but they were they were outplayed by a better team in the second half at Anfield and that's why they struggled. That wasn't the case today. This was an Arsenal problem, not West Ham being good. And some people have said, well, is Mikel getting the right message across? I, I don't necessarily think that Mikel's changed his methods um, too much in terms of the messages he puts across in those kind of situations and you have to say that looking at the evidence of the the whole season actually arsenal have started both halves really well traditionally so to be coming out in the second half and be as lackluster and as weak as we were today um and then obviously getting that penalty opportunity missing it and then still not being able to to kind of galvanize ourselves quick enough to um you know to to prevent that equalizer shortly after it was frustrating but the other thing as well, like I keep saying the other thing, the other thing, because I keep thinking of things as I'm going, but something else that that wound me up a little bit, I think, was that and it's because we couldn't. It's not because we didn't want to, but it was that when we did get to that last sort of 20 minutes, we didn't look like a team that were chasing a goal that was going to, you know, really boost our title hopes. We we sort of defeated ourselves at that point or we were feeling defeated. And I can't understand why, you know, there was a lot to play for. We just couldn't get the ball down on the ground. That's where I thought Jorginho's introduction helped us a little bit. But then West Ham sat back and, and sat deep and they were very, very difficult to break through. And, you know, players like Gabriel Jesus are key when you're trying to open up a low block and, and he'd been obviously uh, taken off the pitch. So n- no slight on Trossard. I didn't think he really got involved in the game. Not an easy game to come into. But yeah, I, that's I go back to the substitution point. The Gabby Jesus one, I know he faded a bit. It didn't make an awful lot of sense to me. Uh, JM has uh, made a very kind donation to the channel just so that he can have a go at me uh, for my criticism in the past of Brendan Rogers. He said, you've changed your tune from a couple of years ago. Your theory was Rogers and Lester had bottled the top four as expectations change. Hashtag eight points clear. Uh, Thank you for paying money to uh, to to have a go at me on my show. Um, always a pleasure, but look, Brendan Rogers, I said to you that he was, uh, I said to everybody on, on those shows that I didn't think, um, he was as good as a manager as people made out. And that I thought that from the position that Leicester city were in, it was disappointing that they missed out on the top four on a number of occasions. And I stand by that. I'll say it's disappointing if Arsenal don't win the league, but equally, I'm still going to acknowledge that they've done a good job, just like I acknowledged that Leicester City had been punching above their weight, but they needed to take that opportunity while it was there. They didn't. There were massive financial implications off the back of that. Look at how little they spent this season and look at where Brendan Rodgers ended up. So in the end, I was right, because Brendan Rodgers has sleepwalked the team into relegation, a team that will win in the league, um, you know, as recently as, as 2016. So, yeah, anyway. Cheers for your donation, mate. Uh, really, really do appreciate it. Let's take some more of your comments and some more of your questioning, uh, your questions from the live chat. In fact, we'll we'll focus on those for the remainder of the show. Uh, Prince Varaghese says, "Can't bottle this after playing once a week." Um, Nexus says, "Harry Arsenal have blown the title. Well done, City." Lots of you being really, really defeatist, and listen, I understand why you might think now that Manchester City are favourites. I don't have a problem with that. I probably think that as well. I'm leaning towards that. If you told me now I've got to bet my life on one of these two teams winning the Premier League, I would bet on City. They've got better players in terms of, you know, their elite performers are, are higher performers than ours. They've got a striker that's got, what, 45 goals this season, if not more already. Unbelievable. They've got the likes of Kevin De Bruyne. They've spent an absolute fortune They've got 100 uh, Premier League uh, financial breaches outstanding against them as well, which have been investigated, but that's a conversation uh, for another day. Of course, I make Manchester City um, favourites in this race, but that doesn't mean it's over for Arsenal. And if the Arsenal players adopted the attitude and mentality that some of our fans have, then we've got no chance. We might as well not play the last games of the season. We might as well not bother. What's the point? What's the point? And people will say, well, we're not players. We're just fans. We're allowed to have that attitude. You can have that view. But when you turn up at the game on Friday night to support Arsenal against Southampton, get behind the team and let's focus on on trying to make it as difficult for Manchester City um, and, and, and keep in our position for as long as we can because we're still top of the league. We're still four points clear. And with a win on Friday, we have an opportunity to turn that into seven points. So that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Less of the defeatist uh, attitude. It it isn't a good look for anyone. Okay, Um, I'm going to take a very, very uh, brief pause to tell you a little bit about uh, our sponsors, NordVPN. But while I do that, start filling the chat box up with your questions. I'll get through as many of those uh, as I possibly can between now and the end of the show. Just want to say a massive thank you to the good people over at NordVPN, uh, who are currently sponsoring the Chronicles of a Guna podcast. Uh, VPN is a virtual private network, and NordVPN's uh, invention uh, was praised one of the best inventions by the Times 2022 uh, magazine, a fantastic achievement. Uh, And why? Because it's a fantastic piece of technology. Using their virtual private network uh, service, You can log into the Internet from various different locations. Now, you might be wondering, why do I want to log into the Internet from another country or from a virtual location that shows me as being in another country? Well, there are lots and lots of benefits. Take last night, for example. I wanted to watch some of the TV programming uh, over from Cyprus and Greece as uh, we were celebrating uh, a Greek Easter, uh, all sorts of wonderful music shows and and God knows what else uh, on TV But when i tried to log into the web players of the various channels from my uk location of course they were geo blocked so i logged into nordvpn and i set my location to greece and i was able to access all of the content and it was great i really enjoyed it i do the same when i want to watch football and i do the same when i want to access subscriptions and look at flight prices uh, from other places so um nordvpn gives you that it also gives you additional protection when browsing the internet, particularly when you're using public Wi-Fi. For those of you that travel, uh, I think you'll find it very, very useful. Um, And of course, if you log in uh, to uh, different locations, you'll be able to access different TV shows, different films, different things that are available in different territories. For example, log into your Netflix and set your location to the USA. You'll get a totally different inventory of stuff. It's a pretty good benefit. And all it costs is the price of one cup of coffee. Per month, with the Chronicles of Aguna discount, you can of course get uh, a lot of money off. You can uh, save a huge chunk of the subscription price, but you also get an additional four months free. So, for more information, if you want to sign up, check it out. This deal only runs for another few days, so you want to jump on this nice and quick. It's www.nordvpn/chroniclesafc. The link is in the description. I know lots of you who watch and listen to the podcast use it already. This is an opportunity for you guys. Uh, to get yourselves a discount. And if you're a new user and you've got any questions about it or anything, do let me know. Uh, thank you to NordVPN for their kind sponsorship of the program. And um, yeah, we'll uh, get back to answering some of your questions. Okay, let's do this. Um, do do-do-do-do-do. uh, Odrydek says, Harry, do you agree with Roy Keane, who said that finishing second is a terrible season for Arsenal? Did he actually say that? Was that today that he said that? I mean, Roy Keane is Roy Keane. He's he's just become a meme, hasn't he? That's what Roy Keane is now. He, He sits on TV. You don't look at Roy Keane for good analysis. You look at Roy Keane for a line here or there, a baby. What did he call Robertson last week? He's a baby. Like that was. That's what Roy Keane is now, right? He's someone who drops lines, who's always angry all the time, who's always annoyed about stuff. That's kind of his character. It was his character as a player. It's his character now as a pundit. That's a completely wild comment to make. Actually, if Arsenal finished second, Arsenal would have achieved what their objective was at the start of the season, which was to get back in the Champions League, which they're going to do with some games to spare. Um, And, uh, you know, they'd have been involved in a title race right until the end, which is more than people expected. So how people now can turn that around and dress it up as a bad season is beyond me. Will it be disappointing if we don't win the league, given the position we were in? Yeah, of course. Nobody's denying that. But to say it was a, a terrible season or it would be a terrible season, I think is is ridiculous. Um, a Wayne Thomas says, do you think Arteta is partly to blame today because of his substitutions taking off Jesus and Parte? So I kind of touched on this in, in sort of my breakdown of the game already, but I personally wouldn't have taken Jesus off. But again, I accept that there might be other reasons for that. Could it be a fitness thing? You know, they are still working him back to, to 100% sharpness, maybe Partey though. He was rubbish today. He was really bad today. Outside of that first 15, 20 minutes, everybody was great in that period. But beyond that, there were a lot of really poor, poor, poor performances. And Thomas Partey, after he made that mistake in the first half, just never recovered. So, um, yeah, um, that I, I don't want to hold Mikel Arteta too responsible. I think there are things that Mikel Arteta could have done better, which I've already uh, broken down in the podcast. Um you know, I thought that the the lack of a response after half time, you know, you kind of got to put that on the manager to a degree because obviously whatever he said or, or, or put across at half time didn't really get through. The substitutions, I wouldn't have taken Jesus off. I wouldn't have taken Martinelli off. Do I think it really made that much difference? No, I don't. I just think we were we were out of ideas with them on the pitch and without them on the pitch after that first half an hour or so. Oli says, Harry, do you think we should forfeit the rest of our games because they don't matter anymore? Well, if I read some of these comments, then, yeah, I I think that's probably the best way to go. Save us all a bit of hassle, uh, save us all some travel and uh, let's just um, let's just forfeit it. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, he says, uh, if anything, we're really missing Saliba. Our second string replacement can only do so much. Do you have any timetable on his return guidance? I said to you guys in the preview to this match that I was going to lay off the Rob Holding slander, but yeah, I mean, seen as you brought it up, seen as you mentioned it, he's, he's just so off the level that we need, and he, he's just so below it. He can't progress the ball out from the back. He lacks pace. He lacks awareness when he steps out of the defense to press in the way that Saliba does or to be on the front foot in terms of his defending, he just can't do it. Um, You know, the amount of times that you'll see his central defensive partner or one of the midfielders having to guide him, like having to gesture towards him to say, step forward so that I can use you as an option. Saliba does that naturally because he's got that confidence in picking up the ball and carrying it out. You know, Rob Holding just doesn't have that. And we're seriously suffering uh, from William Saliba being sidelined. I think, as as Mikel Arteta said the other day, he's a couple of weeks away, maybe a few weeks away. We don't really know. Sometimes that can be a good thing with Arsenal. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, it could be that they're protecting us from what would be, you know, a real devastating blow. And and if that got out into the open, it would maybe impact the mood a little bit more than it is already. I don't know. Um But yeah, I couldn't tell you when he's coming back because I just don't know. I just don't know. Uh, What else have we got? Uh, Hamoud uh, says, we're slowing the game down an issue. Um, Yeah, we kind of took our foot off the gas a little bit. Um, We didn't... Yeah, we we, we took our foot off the gas a little bit. We didn't go for the kill at 2-0, which was obviously frustrating. And, and I think Mikel Arteta admitted post-match that maybe it just was a little bit too easy uh, for us at that point. And, and we, um, you know, we just fell into that trap. Two 0 was a dangerous lead. People always say that. And it's certainly proven to be that for us over the last couple of weeks. Mark says, Harry, do you think our mistakes are exacerbated when we lose or draw? Or have we been papering over the cracks with our last gasp wins, i.e. Bournemouth? So I think you need a bit of luck along the way. And I think that when you get a last cast victory, yeah, it's partly down to you being tenacious and pushing and challenging, but there is a bit of fortune in that as well. Um, look, football's a funny old game, Mark. You know, in the past, I've looked at groups of games and I've gone, oh, we need four points from this. So, for example, we need three points in the home banker game against the relegation candidate, and then we need a point on the road against the team that maybe, you know, are, are higher up the table and that we fear. And it's turned out that we've got those points, but we've got them the other way around. And, you know, that can happen in football. So you can't be too reactionary, I don't think. You've got to understand and acknowledge that there probably will be more twists and turns. And listen, if Manchester City go on and win every single game now until the end of the season and win the league, looking at the run that they've been on already in recent months, then you have to say they deserve it. and us missing out wouldn't be because our level wasn't very good or wasn't much better than it was last season because it already is but it would be because we come up against an absolute juggernaut people talk about Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool side so so fondly they only won the league once why not because they weren't a great side they were a great side they were a fantastic side but the reason they weren't able to lift the Premier League trophy more than once was because Manchester City were imperious and were relentless And now we've added Erling Haaland into the equation, and they're even more dangerous. So have we been papering over the cracks? I wouldn't go as far as saying we've been papering over the cracks because that suggests that we've been poor and we've got away with it. I think we've been very good. but We've been very good because we've been above our level more often than not. And that is where I'm surprised. So when I look at Arsenal dropping points in the way that they did at Liverpool last weekend and now at West Ham today, I don't see that as Arsenal falling away. I see that as it as Arsenal levelling out, if that makes sense. This is, look at the points returned now over the last few weeks. This is what Arsenal should be doing. This is what Arsenal's level actually is when you look at the depth in the squad, how young some of the key players are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And obviously the injuries that we're having to contest with, particularly at centre-back, but also Tommy Asu being absent. You know, if Tommy Asu's fit, that solves our right back problem. uh, Sorry, our centre back problem, because you've got two options. You either slot Tommy Asu in there, don't disrupt Ben White, or you tuck Ben White in alongside Gabriel and you play Tommy Asu at right back. And I can tell you now that is much better than having Rob Holding in the heart of our defence. I'm going to take a couple more of your questions and then uh, I'm going to say my farewells. Uh, Kuhn says... Do you think Saka scores the winner at the Etihad? I feel like he's going to shrug this off and get even better than he was. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and predict that Bukayo Saka goes on and wins the game for us at the Etihad. But what I will say is that Bukayo Saka has shown us before that he can overcome big disappointments, get his head back in the game, recover and uh, and get back to his super high performance levels that we've seen, uh, especially this season. So I've got no qualms with Bukayo Saka. He missed a penalty. Mo Salah missed one last weekend. Nobody thought he was going to put that wide. Saka's done the same thing. It happens. It's football. Um, But I also don't have any real long-term concerns about Saka in terms of his confidence. I think he's a really confident young lad. I think he believes in his ability. I think he's got the right people around him um, in terms of within the club. I mean, I don't know what his mum and dad are like. I'm sure they're lovely people, but I don't know. Uh, but I think he'll be fine. I think he'll shake it off. And I think he'll get back to being a really, really important player uh, for Arsenal in the um, in the coming weeks. Uh, Graham says, has anyone found the moment that Xhaka cost us the game this week? Yeah, you. I'm surprised we haven't heard any of that. Uh, there always seems to be something that Granit Xhaka could have done or shouldn't have done or did do that's cost us, but anyway. Uh, That's another conversation for another day. Um, I have uploaded my uh, post match player ratings for our members over on the Another Slice platform, but I can't see them on my app. Um, I've been refreshing it and it's it's not pulled through for me, but that might be my app. Does it need an update? I'm not 100% sure. I have emailed uh, the guys over at Another Slice, but if you are an Another Slice member, could you let me know if you can see them? Because I'm wondering if it's my app. Have I do I need to update it or something like that? Um obviously I want to make sure that you guys um you guys get access uh, to those player ratings and was, I got in the um I got in the doghouse uh from my wife for uh, sort of walking in the door uh on Easter and saying I need to go and do the player ratings before I sit down and see my kids. Um so I want to make sure that you guys have got them. So please do let me know about that. I've have emailed another slice, as I say because I uploaded it at around about 6 p.m. and I just can't see them pulling through anywhere. Uh, but yeah, I'll keep you posted. I'll keep an eye on it as well. Thank you all so, so much for tuning in. Uh, Graham says he hasn't got it on his yet. Uh, and neither has Richie. OK, I'll, I'll be sure to follow that up. Um, it's probably the lowest ratings I've ever done, actually, throughout the duration of the season. I know we've lost games already and I know we've had some disappointing results, but uh, these were definitely some some poor ratings. Um, but yeah, as soon as that pulls through, you'll be able to get access to that. I'll keep you all posted. Uh, thank you for letting me know. Thank you for tuning in as always. And I'll see you guys tomorrow back here on this very channel at 4.30 p.m. UK time. I'm going to be joined by Arsenal's very own Adrian Clark, Um, pundit over on the uh, Arsenal show, The Breakdown. He's going to be returning to the podcast tomorrow. He's going to join me. We're going to sit down. We're going to break it down. We're going to talk about what this means in terms of the title race going forward. And we'll get Adrian's view on yesterday, what's gone wrong in the last couple of weeks and how Mikel Arteta um, gets us back on track and uh, back to winning away. So, um, yeah, I'll keep you uh, all posted. Uh, on uh, the opportunity to ask Adrian some questions there. But yeah, Adrian Clark tomorrow joining me on the podcast 4.30 p.m. UK time live, and it'll be available to watch back or listen back to uh, in all the usual places shortly afterwards. I'll see you all soon. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. Well, as much as you can after a disappointing result for the Arsenal. It finished West Ham 2, Arsenal 2 at the London Stadium. I missed out on my barbecue so I'm going to go and have some leftovers now. I catch you all soon. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.